Hey, Loam listeners. Today we are talking to Amelia Reed Davis. Amelia is an incredible potter, as well as one of my dearest friends, whose earthly vessels are beloved to many of you in the Loam community. In this episode, Amelia and I explore what it means to advocate for anti-capitalist practices as a small business owner, the potent beauty and creating a sustainable craft culture, and so much more. Before we dive in, I want to invite you all into the conversation on Loam Lesson. As many of you know, this first season is kind of our test pancake. We're figuring out how to create a podcast that's a true source of nourishment during these difficult days, and so I would love to hear from each one of you about how Loam Listen can best be of service. You can reach out to me through our website with your thoughts or send me a message on Instagram at Loam Love. And if you're feeling inspired, we would so appreciate if you took the time to write us a review on iTunes. It'll help us to reach new hearts and homes. All right, with that out of the way, I'm excited to welcome Amelia. Amelia is an artist who creates functional vessels rooted in cultivating conversation on slow living, holistic sustainability, and mindful consumerism. She takes incredible care in how she sources her materials as well as ships her products plastic-free. I met Amelia at a craft fair three years ago, and I think what drew me to her is how transparent she was, and is, about what it means to be a maker, striving to both work within and outside of the capitalist system. And of course, like so many of you, her pottery is truly a catalyst for slowing down and drinking our world in. Amelia, thank you so much for joining. Hey, Kate. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about you is that you offer an anti-capitalism business owning proclamation in your shop. As you write, I do not advocate for impulsive shopping that adds to one of the many facets of detrimental consumerism, environmental despair in our world. My deepest wish is for these vessels to be loved and used often rather than sit untouched. Likewise, please remember that these vessels will not fulfill joy deeper than any non-transactional activity. Okay, so first of all, that's awesome. (laughs) And I love that that is part of your business practice. And I'm so curious to know what inspired you to establish that proclamation and why is it important for you as a business owner and a maker to have that be a part of your ethos? Yeah, definitely. So I just want to start out, um, I use the word capitalism because I think it best represents that kind of linear single bottom line business model of success equaling money and massive growth. Um, The characteristics of capitalism do not take into consideration environmental, social, or spiritual well-being, um, or at least in the models of like modern capitalism that I think we're seeing a lot now. So yeah, in every way, I feel like capitalism is what fuels materialism and consumerism. So there might be a better word, but that is what feels most accurate for me. But yeah, the place I'm coming from with that statement is kind of dual purpose. On one hand, it's um, a call to consumers to to take a deep breath before hitting the purchase button. I think it's so easy to assume that just because we, and I use the word we because I'm totally just as guilty of this, um, but yeah, just because we're supporting these awesome small businesses or makers, it doesn't mean that we aren't participating in that sort of materialistic consumerist nature. So to slow down and check in 
to be sure that um, the piece or whatever it is will really be loved and isn't just being bought impulsively. And likewise, I feel I kind of wrote it as a call to my fellow business owners and maker friends to just remind each other at the end of the day, we too need to hold ourselves accountable and responsible for either adding to that system or not. It's something I'm fully exploring as I go and I'm far from perfect um, or recommending that anyone needs to be perfect because that's definitely not a thing, especially as long as we are functioning in the greater linear economy. Um, But I think especially for businesses who claim they are sustainable or practicing holistic sustainability, um, we can't pretend we aren't part of the problem if we're not having these conversations. And nothing's going to change if we aren't cultivating this dialogue um, with either each other or our customers. Um, So yeah, we can totally have thriving businesses while also encouraging and supporting thoughtful shopping um, and, and, and just being sure that, you know, we're buying things where um, it is something that will get used and the energy that went into making it will be honored and energy in the sense of like the physical labor, but also the fossil fuels for shipping or material harvesting or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I feel like it's, it's kind of those, that dual purpose. And I think your willingness to explore those big questions is so cherished because so much of your work is an invitation to just be in that process of showing up with curiosity and compassion to what it means to be a maker or a small business owner in the face of climate crisis. And I really love that that you're not asking anyone to be perfect, yourself in, yourself included. You're, what you're really asking is for us to be mindful and to bring that mindfulness into every aspect of our lives. And I think why that speaks to me is as someone who's, you know, I, I'm the I'm a small business owner and the daughter of two small business owners and have always felt really invested in supporting small businesses. And sometimes that does, that does lead to consumerism. Um, that doesn't feel aligned with my values because there's so many people that I want to support that I find myself. Then I'm like, this, this isn't what it's about. So I'm really grateful to you for inviting that call to action and contemplation. And something that you said that I want to touch on more is you talked about holistic sustainability, because I do think we live in this time, right? Where there's so many people claiming sustainability as a central tenet of their businesses or their work. Uh, but it has felt like it's losing its meaning. And I'm curious to know what is holistic sustainability mean to you and how do you practice that in your everyday life? Yeah, definitely. And I totally agree with you. I feel, and I, I think we had this conversation recently, but just how like sustainability is kind of becoming like a buzzword, I guess, for a lot of small businesses, especially, or that like just because you're small or just because you're a maker that you're like, automatically sustainable or, or whatnot. Um, but but yeah, I kind of to answer that question, I was at a market um, a few months ago, I guess, and there was uh, someone that came up and on my sign, it says vessel rooted in sustainability or something like that. And he was like, pottery, isn't that like, sustainable, you're like working with clay, like, just not understanding, I guess, like that the lens that I use that word in and it was such a great moment to be like, oh yeah, it's 
it's not a given. Like I kind of forget that, but, um, but yeah, really for, um, for me, holistic sustainability looks like every single action that I am doing in my business is through that lens. And, um, yeah, so it, it, you know, goes down to like the businesses that I'm supporting, like to get my business cards or my packaging materials, or even, you know, something that is coming into play for me right now is the quality of rest and what being a sustainable business owner means is also like longevity, right? Or like, how, like, how am I abusing my own body by overworking myself or not feeding myself properly when, you know, work is really crazy or all of those things. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, and then also having those conversations, using my platform to do what I can, I guess, to um, be hosting this dialogue and have it be um, more about just objects. Um, But yeah, like the vessels, the vessel of the vessels, I guess you could say. I really love that because I do think at the end of the day, your work isn't about the object, it's about the process. And I would love to hear from you about what your creative process looks like. And not only in terms of drawing from nature to design, you know, a beloved vessel, but also in terms of cultivating a sustainable everyday environmental activist practice. Because stewardship for the earth is such a big part of who you are and how you approach your work and and is really integral to your process. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so definitely, um, you know, as time goes on, I see that I feel like for me, my creative process is really grounded in this daily routine that I have, um, which involves like a walk with my two dogs and cooking for myself and spending time in the studio. And then the rest parts or the outlet kind of parts of like knitting or um, like even dressing myself is something that I feel is really paramount to my creative process um, or creative outlet, I guess. And yeah, so it's kind of over time, I've seen that it's almost like a passive way of bringing design into my life, or it's, it's, it's not so much me like sitting in a room with a pen and paper, like, okay, what, what vessels am I going to think up today? But it's more like these things I just notice on my walks or, you know, I'm in the kitchen and I'm like, man, it would be so nice to have a vessel that was made for my daily overnight nettle infusions or, or, you know, whatever it is. So that's, I think the beauty of functional objects is that it comes out of, you know, there being a necessity for them or maybe not necessity, but function for them. Um, so that is, that's kind of where I'm at with that. I don't hold myself responsible for creating X number of new designs every year or, you know, that kind of framework, but more just as things come, they come or, you know, there's just a call to make them. And yeah, so and then as far as it playing into stewardship or environmental stewardship. I mean, I think one of the things that you touch on really beautifully as well is like that everyday activism and um, it not being like, okay, I'm going to go to this march on this day. And then, you know, that's going to be my, like, those are going to be like my activist points, you know, and then live my life kind of separate 
the rest of the time, right? Or is that kind of, I don't want to like put words in your mouth, but I feel like that's something that I've heard you touch on. Um, so I kind of frame it like that, like nothing feels separate to me. And um, the work that I do in my business is just as it's not like different from my everyday life. And um, yeah. Yeah, but I think the main thing for me is just having this routine, this daily routine feels really nourishing to me. And and when I stick into that, or when I stick to that, I feel really grounded. And um, when I'm taking care of myself and able to show up for the world more, and, you know, I think that's something that is so real for so many of us is just that self-care aspect of like, oh, the better I take care of myself, the like more meaningful my work can be or um the more I can show up for others whether it's you know animals or in social justice issues with other humans whose needs aren't being met whoever it is um that you feel called to helping so so yeah does that answer answer that it's kind of a pact yeah and sparked a couple questions (laughs) as you were talking (laughs) I think the first thing is that I I do want to distinguish because I know this is part of of your approach is is the difference between self-care and self-keeping because I think self-care has increasingly been commercialized oh, as a concept. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Yes. Yeah, and I think what you are really trying to do is invite us into a deeper and more nuanced vision of self-care, which is about what do I need to tend to so that I can be of greater service to the world. So that I just want to highlight because I've been hearing that around recently, I think more, and I'm really into that for sure. It just feels more like it has oomph to it, you know, rather than this, like, take a bath and all your problems. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you're going to just suck it up, you know, put it (laughs) on, like, it'll be good. I don't know. That just feels really toxic. And yeah, the self-keeping, it's a practice, right? There's no like end goal. It's its um, like, I don't want to say fail because I feel like I'm generally doing my best, but you know, for lack of a better word, I fail at it all the time, but then I'm like, okay, that's that. And how am I going to next time maybe do a little better or set myself up for more success or, you know, what are some tools I can learn out of that to maybe not get that low next time or whatever it is. So I feel you on that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then uh, the other thing you shared that I want to talk more about is, is really what your, your daily routine is, because, you know, as your friend, I really have had (laughs) had the luxury of getting to witness how truly wholeheartedly you show up to every day. I mean, and listeners, like, believe me, it is so sweet to have Amelia in your neck of the woods and go over for dinner and have this, like, exquisite, beautifully lovingly sourced meal. Um, and so I would just, yeah, I would love to learn what is your routine and what are the rituals that are an important part of your day and then help you show up, that help you align your values and your actions each and every day. Because I think ritual and routine, we so often deride them, but they can be really beautiful catalysts for mindfulness and presence. And, and yeah, I always, you know, like kind of like what's in your bag, what's in, what's in your routine. I love it. I love that. Um, yeah. So, and just to preface at the beginning, because speaking of that kind of annoying self-care world, 
these are the things that I've found helpful for me. And totally, it's not a one size fits all thing. Like the things that I do might totally like drive you crazy or or whatever. So I encourage people to like, listen and, and then like, you know, explore and find what works for you afterwards. So yeah, my daily routine, you know, it's, it's a little different every day. And I don't, there's no like time frame on it. It's not like, okay, I wake up at 7:30 and then I eat breakfast at 7:45 or whatever. It's it's more kind of these things that I know that when I'm, you know, really like feeling like my best human, I'm I'm doing every day. And I think everything kind of for me revolves around my dogs, honestly. And well, Piper at first and then now there's a second one, um Asia. But but yeah, so our dog walk, we go either into the woods or to the beach. I'm in Tacoma, Washington, along the Puget Sound. So there's some options as far as landscape. But yeah, that is so, I don't even know how, like, I don't think we have the words in our language to really like encapsulate how grounding and grateful I am I guess for that routine and and something I have to do right it's built into just having dogs like rain or snow or whatever it is like I need to get out there and and let them you know shake it off and run around um so yeah that's kind of what everything I guess revolves around and um and it's neat because I grew up like my mom had that routine. And I think it's something I observed and just saw how beautiful it was to like, be spending this time outside and seeing in our field, like the grasses and the seasonal shifts of all these plants and, you know, things that come and go and the ospreys that were at my childhood house. And um, so yeah, I, I think that for me, it's, it's a lot of things happening at once in those walks. I'm able to clear my head. I'm getting a lot of inspiration, Um, not in like a really conscious way, I guess, but just in a, over time, I start to feel these plants that I feel really drawn to or colors or specific months that I'm like, oh man, like I, I can't wait for the ferns to like start crinkling up and turning that like beautiful golden brown. Um, So yeah, I really look forward to that. And then Let's see. I mean, I'd have a practice with herbs um, and kind of always have herbal medicine plays a pretty big role in my life. So I guess there is kind of that big chunk of making food for myself and and kind of finding whatever herbal allies are like of the of the moment Um, right now. I think, as I mentioned earlier, nettles have been kind of my savior of sorts. and I'm not going to say exactly for what, because I don't want, you know, if, yeah, you should look it up and see if maybe it'll help you out too. Um, but it's kind of like the mother herb, I guess. And so it really helps, it helps me in a lot of ways, but I'll, I'll drink that every day. And yeah, I mean, it's mostly like food and the natural world, I think that are my main tools. Um, and, and right now, right now, I guess. You know, one of the other things, too, that I want to touch on, because it's something that has felt pretty large in the last year or so, but something that I've been really intentionally trying to do is um, really let myself have time in the day where I'm not making things or, like, using my hands. Because for me, like, it's really hard to not do that and to not be 
putting that energy out, I guess, or that output and really to let myself have input, if that makes sense. And so yeah, like lighting candles, I found to be a ritual that kind of stokes that hearth up inside of me again. Um, Being a maker and like that depletion of energy is so real or that creative depletion is so real. And so that's been something that's been really game changing for me. Um, just rest and not doing anything and um, letting my body kind of let me know what it needs. And I also think that's a reflection of the capitalist society that we've been raised in is that there's this pressure to be perpetually productive and to always create and accomplish and succeed. And it is so hard (laughs) to unravel from that. And I do think (laughs) it (laughs) it takes a lot of discipline for sure. To, yeah. to learn how to be and not do. Yeah. Um, you know, discipline isn't showing up to your your sit spot every day. Um, mm-hmm. Less so, less so a, a more angry or aggressive discipline. Mm-hmm. But I, I really feel that because I think that is a challenge that so many of us are facing right now, whether we're makers or we're in the climate movement oh. or, you know, mm-hmm. for all of us who are doing work that requires our whole bodies in some way or another are feeling the urgency at these times and sometimes responding by upping our workload and in- increasing burnout or, or trying to, to ride through burnout instead of rest. And that's such a real issue that, that so many of us are working through right now. I know. I always like to, whenever this comes up in conversation, and I may have like meant referenced this to you before I probably have but I remember I can't remember what junction it was but maybe it was right after Trump got elected or something like that but Michael Moore posted that the notion of the choir and I don't know if yeah if you've sung in a chorus or whatever you'll know this but you know when you're holding a long note there's half of you who like take a breath while the other half is singing and then that half takes a break well then the other half comes back in and starts singing and it sounds like there's no break in in the sound and he was man it just like really struck me because I feel like that's something that we need to just hear more often it's like no one is made to like you know hold those like long notes forever and when we're taking rest and taking care of ourselves like other people will step up and then we'll be more ready to come in and then give those people a break um and so I feel like that's just a really beautiful and functional way to think about that as well oh my gosh that's so beautiful yeah I know (laughs) man he's he's got some good stuff to say for sure I love that idea yeah um and so pivoting just a little bit Mm -hmm. your work is you really draw from a lot of different sources of inspiration um, from the different ecosystems that you've lived in um, from diverse writers and artists who or what is inspiring you right now and providing some much needed uh, spiritual uh, nourishment. Yeah. So my, let's see, my grandfather passed away last summer and it's been interesting going through all these things. He was this uh, in that side of my paternal side of my family has always been these amazing um, like Americana folk art collectors. And so it's been really interesting going through all of his things and 
um, all these things coming up from my childhood again of, you know, going to an, going into his house was, it was a museum fully. It was like so partly creepy as a kid, like some of the like old portraits of these like weird people that none of us knew who they were. Um, they were like really pale, like sickly looking people or, you know, these like Toby jugs all sitting lined up staring at you. And, um, but anyway, so it's just been interesting to, to be going through his stuff and revisiting a lot of the stuff from my childhood and, and, and the, in, you know, the inspiration in my family of Americana folk art. And, um, so yeah, that's, I think been something that I've been really sitting with and, you know, these weird like stirrup cups that he had and a lot of, um, I'm trying to think of some more like specific examples. Um, but, but yeah, so kind of wanting to just pay more tribute to that, I guess, in my work and, and just in my life in general. It's been something that I've always been drawn to for sure um, in, in some regard, but, but more so just being like, man, this is really like a part of my history and, um, and just feeling really inspired and, and alive with all these antiques and that part of, I guess, our country of, of, uh, yeah, of our, of our, kind of history in that in that sense so so yeah that's been something that I've been thinking about a lot and um coming out with these heart and hand pendants um like wall hanging pendants and that I feel like the final push of that was was inspired by by him and um yeah and just wanting to somehow pay tribute to to him and and that side of my family and in my collection more so yeah I love that and I think that's such a sweet reminder um of how for so many of us there's a lineage of craftsmanship mm-hmm. we can look back and and find makers in our family and remember that's within us and something we can access definitely yeah definitely I think we're at a moment too of I don't know, there's definitely a call to to just look within more and like learn more about our own heritage rather than pulling from others. Like it's so easy to to do that, especially just in the spiritual world. Um and yeah, so really just getting curious about like your family or, you know, where your relatives come from and seeing what practices they incorporated. Um yeah, I could not agree more with that. I think it is so necessary to to explore what it, what our inheritance truly is mm-hmm. um, and to honor where we come from. And so before we close, uh, one thing I really would love to hear from you is about for our listeners who are feeling inspired by this conversation, how they can incorporate um, anti-capitalist practices into their life and how they can continue to support makers and craftspeople um, while also honoring a desire to be more mindful in our relationship to the material world. Because I do think there's room, you know, I do think there's room for both. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think, I guess, you know, touching on that like anti-materialistic or capitalist um, framework, probably as a consumer, you know, just really looking around and like seeing what you have, looking around and seeing like what you want, you know, 
and and just like being real on like what you actually need um and whether that thing will really be used whether it's clothes or objects um like we we can all buy less and yeah so I think that's the main thing and then you know as far as supporting other makers and artists um I'm not saying like don't buy things you know that's definitely not I guess what I want people to like take from this because you know supporting small businesses is like really important for helping our local economies and you know so many things um and at the same time like there's so many other ways to support us small business owners and makers um that don't involve like money I guess you could say so also not to feel like man like there's this artist I really love and I can't afford their pieces right now. Like I'm the worst. Like I'm not supporting them. Da 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 da. Like that's there's so many other ways to to support them. And I think the main one, like I'm gonna speak for myself, but also if you probably ask any of your artist friends or small business friends, like Instagram is probably it sounds crazy, but it's probably like ninety percent of how my business has gotten to where it is, or you know who my customers are or whatnot um so yeah just like sharing reposting things like it's super underrated how helpful that is um and I think it's something we forget a lot a lot of the time like if there's a shop update and you you know aren't wanting to buy something like just repost it even if you have 50 followers like that's still a really beautiful thing to do and just to just to spread the word um so yeah I think that's probably like my main my main thing um or my main advice for supporting other makers um other than you know if you're wanting to bring one of their pieces into your life yeah I think sharing the love is so important and and so deeply cherished and as you were talking it also reminded me too it's important for each one of us to really honor um the energy and time and love that makers pour into their craft. I think it's so easy when we're not in the work. You know, we understandably don't know what goes into it. And so we sometimes make assumptions, well, that seems kind of, you know, that seems expensive or, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't have a full grasp of the picture or what it might mean for somebody to truly value the materials that were needed. And, and so cost of things, sorry to interrupt, but the true cost of things as well, like, yeah retraining people of like a mug shouldn't be ten dollars like that something is very wrong <laughs> like <laughs> right you know like or even 20 like yeah so just also like remembering like that yeah if you think something expensive like that's probably like what it should be priced at <laughs> yeah totally like retraining to understand the true cost is is really important work mm-hmm. so with that Thank you, Amelia, so much uh, for sharing with us today. I feel really lucky to um, give listeners a window into the conversations we have surrounding these topics pretty much every week. I know. <laughs> every week, yeah. We should just our like text threads. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll we'll share those in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm down. Yeah, I'll, I'll get on that. <laughs> um. And thank you as well to the wonderful Isaac Silk for editing our podcast and to Isaac and Faith Harding for intro music. 
And to all of our Loam listeners, thank you for tuning in today and sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, Your support really, really means the world.